0: So is it just me, or does it seem like Easter kind of has a way of always coming around at just the right time? I mean, it, it's it's usually been a, a long cold winter, some years longer than others, and spring is in is in full swing, or at least it's supposed to be. This year it was more like the second day of spring on Easter, right? But you're coming out of those those cold, dark months. Doesn't it also often feel like you're, you're coming out of some dark days as well? The, the hard times, the heartbreaking news starts to pile up taller and taller. You think, maybe I've read the last headline that's gonna leave me shaking my head and saying, what is wrong with this world? And then you read another one, and another one, and another one. And it doesn't take all that long before it can start to feel like there's really only one word on our minds to describe this world that we're living in. It starts to feel like this world is hopeless. I think when we start to feel like that, it can be really tempting for us sometimes to want to blame all those other people out there, right? Those people. What is wrong with those people? Why can't they just be part of the solution? Why do they have to insist on being a part of the problem and yet the reality is it's not that some people are part of the problem and others aren't it's that the problem is a part of people the problem with this world is a part of each and every one of us the problem with this world it's a, a deep and rotting corruption in our hearts now, I, I don't mean to say that, that everyone's sin is the same. That's not what I'm saying. But everyone is a sinner. And so maybe you haven't committed those sins that leave you shaking your head, reading the headlines. Maybe you haven't committed those those big, atrocious sins. And yet, where do those things start? Those big sins can start pretty small. They can start with something as, as simple, as innocent-seeming as just... Selfishness, valuing my own, my own well-being over everyone around me, hating the people around me in the world. The things that we think of as the, the big evils in this world, they can start with something as little as just thinking that my own thoughts and desires and opinions are so important that no one, not even God, could ever tell me that the things that I want are not what's best thing about dealing with problems in this life is really if you want to get rid of a problem you have to cut it out at the source right like that weed growing in your garden you have to pull it out at the roots and so to know that the problem with this world is human sinfulness that the problem with this world is something that we can really never get rid of no matter how hard we try suddenly it doesn't feel like all that much of an exaggeration to say this world my goodness it really is hopeless the portion of god's word that we're focusing on this morning it was written especially to and especially for christians feeling overwhelmed by that that sense of hopelessness we'll read from from first peter chapter one So these words are written by the the very same Peter who gave that, that sermon on Pentecost that we read just a little bit earlier, but he's writing these words about 30 years later to these struggling Christians. So Peter writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade and this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That's God's answer to our feelings of hopelessness. God's answer to our feelings of hopelessness is really these words. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, which gives us a living hope. He is risen, the that little three-word sentence, those three little words, to a Christian, those words are nothing but just pure joy and peace and life and hope. And the thing is, it's not just some trivial surface-level hope either. I think sometimes people can get a little frustrated with, with us Christians because it it can seem maybe like we talk about this hope that we have in Christ like it's just this, this magical pixie dust that you can just sprinkle on all your problems and poof, they go away. Maybe I was making you a little bit nervous like that's the direction I was going. Like, yeah, life is hard, but you should probably get over it because Jesus lives. And yet, that's not at all the way that God speaks to us in his word. God's word tells us over and over, yeah, life is hard. Life is full of all this pain and and trials and hardships. And that's a direct result of that problem that we're all a part of. But God's word also tells us, you know what? Even in your trials, even in your hardships, you have a living hope. And like we talked about with the kids this morning, that's not just the way that, that we sometimes use the word hope. It's not just a, well, I hope it might happen, but it's really more like a one in a million chance. No, the, the hope that we have in Jesus is the light that will always be at the end of the tunnel. We have a hope that is alive because we have a Savior that is alive. Now, I would never, I would never dare to tell someone that because of the hope we have in Christ, well, that should really make all their their pain and their grief and their trials and their troubles just go away. I would never say that. Yet I would absolutely say, with confidence, because the Bible says it, that there is no pain and there is no grief in this whole world that can take away the living hope that we have in our living Savior. Maybe you've heard it said before that That tough times don't last, but tough people do. I don't necessarily disagree with that. But I will say this. You better hope that the person you're saying that to considers themselves to be a tough person, right? Because who does that phrase point you back to in your tough times? Points you back to yourself. So you better toughen up if you want to make it through this. Who does peter point us to in god's word this morning he points us to the one who has given us a new birth right a fresh start he says god has given us a living hope he has given us an inheritance that is it is sin proof it is time proof and it is death proof and so maybe we're led to wonder what does god say about those tough times what does god say about those trials that he does allow to come into our lives well, we'll read the, the second half of our reading this morning, where Peter writes, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. But these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We know from from other parts of God's word that, that God tells us he works all things in our lives for our eternal good. And you know, maybe sometimes we can see that. Maybe sometimes... Years down the road, we're able to look back on a tough time in our lives from years earlier and say, you know, I, I never would have understood it or seen it then, but now I can see so clearly how God used that tough time in my life and, and turned it into a blessing for me. Maybe sometimes that is the case. And yet we know that, that that's not always the way it is. And there may be things that happen in our lives that make us say, No way. Nope, there is absolutely no way that this could ever turn into something good. Yet this morning, God reminds us in his word that sometimes the good thing, sometimes the blessing that comes out of tough times is simply the fact that the tough times drew you closer to Jesus. Peter says that your faith is more valuable than gold. That was the standard of ultimate value back then. Well, I guess it still is today. And for gold to be kept pure, it has to be refined, right? It has to go through the fire. And Peter says, so too with your faith. Sometimes it has to go through the fire. And God never promises us that that heat, that that fire won't burn us sometimes. In fact, it might even melt us down completely. And yet what God does promise us is that we'll come out the other side of that stronger. I think it's kind of interesting to think about who it is that wrote these words that we're focusing on this morning. Now, who who would have the audacity to say that bad things can actually be good things because they bring you closer to Jesus? I mean, who is saying that? Then you think about, well, it's Peter who says that. It's the Apostle Peter who He faced some bad things in his life that none of us will ever even be able to to comprehend. Peter, who ended up dying for his faith, a horrible death. Peter, who even during his time with Jesus, he sunk to the, the absolute lowest of lows, right? He had once so boldly said about Jesus, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God, only to so quickly find himself swearing that he never knew Jesus, right? He had sworn he would never leave Jesus' side, and then he swore up and down, nope, never knew the man. I sometimes think about the, the Saturday before Easter, the day that Jesus was in the tomb, and I wonder, what was that day like for all of Jesus' followers? You know, what was that day like for everybody who knew Jesus personally? I'm sure for all of them, that day was just terrible, but. I'm sure many of them would say, you know what, that was the worst day of my life. But I can't imagine that day was more difficult on anyone than it was on Peter. I mean, think about it. Peter had lost his his close friend, he had lost his Savior, and the very last thing that Peter ever did to Jesus before he died was break his heart, right? The last thing Peter had to remember of Jesus was that that piercing look that Jesus gave Peter after he had denied ever knowing Jesus. And so then, then I just think it's, it's so amazing to see how on Easter, Jesus shows us one of so many examples of how he is the, the good shepherd who cares for the needs of his individual sheep, right? Jesus knows his people and cares for the needs of his people. We see how he does that with Peter. The, the women, they go to Jesus' tomb expecting to find Jesus' body there, instead they find an angel. And the angel tells them, yeah, he's not here, he's risen, now go tell his disciples, and the angel also says, go tell Peter. So then, roughly 30 years later, like we said, Peter's writing this letter, and he's writing to these suffering Christians, and I suppose we can't ever know what was running through his head as he's writing these words, and yet his message to these suffering Christians is is really, I know things are bleak right now. But trust me, the the Jesus that we follow, the Jesus that many of you have never seen, but who I've told you about, he can make even this turn out for your good. He can make even this worth your while. Trust me on this one. (laughs) I've seen him do it so many times before. He promises he always will. Now for those suffering Christians, one day they all faced a trial that was so fierce that it brought them to the end of their road in this life, right? Someday all of us are going to face that trial. And yet what does God say is waiting for us when that day comes? He says we have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And that inheritance is kept in heaven for you. When you get an inheritance in this world, I don't know, maybe sometimes it means going through a house full of stuff, maybe it means a huge project, maybe it means money, maybe it means financial security, but no matter what it is, an inheritance in this life only lasts as long as this life does. But not our inheritance in heaven. When the Bible talks about heaven, sometimes it doesn't tell us what heaven is like a lot of the time. Probably because heaven is so amazing, it can't be put into human terms. But sometimes it tells us what heaven is not like. More often it does that. And, and here, today, we hear that heaven will never perish, never spoil, never fade. Which I, I think is a, a, an awful lot for us to handle. For us who live in this world that is constantly perishing, right? So obviously spoiling, constantly fading. Now, while we're already talking a little bit this morning about cliches that people say about Christians, another one is this. Sometimes people will say, well, Christians, they can be so heavenly-minded that they're no earthly good. But once again, we don't hear God say to us in his word this morning that, you know, since heaven is so amazing, you should really just disregard your earthly life. No. No. the, The Bible constantly talks about What an amazing blessing this life is that God has given us. What the Bible also does is it always keeps the end goal in sight, right? We hear this morning that the end goal, the end result of our faith is the salvation of our souls. The end goal of all of this, the end result of all of this is that we will someday bask in the glory of God, will someday enjoy that that pure joy and peace and hope that we will have in heaven because of what Jesus did for us and that inheritance our inheritance in heaven is an absolutely sure thing because it was paid for by the most valuable thing in the world even more valuable than gold your inheritance in heaven was paid for by the blood of Jesus One of the biggest highlights of my my time in Reno so far the last nine months one of the biggest highlights came a few months ago on President's Day off of school we had a a kids event here at church we rearranged everything and we decorated balloons everywhere and it was it was a Candyland Adventure Day for a whole bunch of kids from the community and I don't know I think you can kind of always count on little kids to help you see the world through a little bit of a different lens. That's exactly what happened. I was, I was teaching a group of these little kids the story of Jesus, who he is, what he's done for us. This one little girl hadn't really heard any of that before. She didn't really know much about what I was talking about. And so she had a whole bunch of questions. She's asking me, okay, so where is Jesus now? Why can't we see him? Um, wh- why did Jesus, why did people want to hurt Jesus? Why did he have to die? And I'm trying my best to answer these questions. I I feel like I'm absolutely failing miserably, but I'm saying, you know, we we can't see Jesus uh, because he's up in heaven, and he had to die. He had to die so that he could save us. It was such a really cool, humbling thing to see how true it is, what God promises, that he works through his word, and that is true whether it's spoken elegantly or not. And I can tell you that it was not. But this little girl, her response is, oh, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to hug Jesus to thank him for doing that for me. And that, that was the, the story that just kept coming to mind as I thought about the way Peter describes what Jesus means to us as Christians. That the knowledge of our risen Savior fills us with an inexpressible and a glorious joy. And so I'm not going to try to explain what inexpressible joy looks like because I think the whole point is that you can't do it. (laughs) But we have a hope that is alive because we have a Savior that is alive. Because Jesus lives, hope lives. And that's true for everyone in every stage of life, whether it's a little girl hearing for the very first time about who Jesus is and what he did for her, or whether it is a lifelong Christian feeling worn out and worn down by life in this world, this world that can sometimes feel hopeless. Or if it's anyone in between, the empty tomb is a game changer. The empty tomb is a life changer. And so as you go through your life, and as you wait for that, that good news of Easter to come around again next year, and as you just hope for some some light and some joy, always, always keep that end goal in sight. Never let the living hope of your Savior fade from your view. Continue to dive into God's word and breathe in that gospel message. And know that you can take your trials and you can take your troubles to the tomb of Jesus and find it empty because Jesus was slain for your sins, but he is not there. He is risen. And so hope lives because Jesus lives. Amen. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus.